And now we're going to be, be hearing from Dave B. Good afternoon, Dave, compulsive overeater. I'd like to put up a couple of my pictures uh, for your viewing pleasure. This is- I'm Sorry, uh, Dave, it'll take, oh, you're doing it, okay. Yeah, that, is that okay? That's much better, thank you. Okay, uh, so this is what I look like. I taught him how, so okay. fine. I'll wait. Go ahead. This is what I look like in the 1970s. I came in the program August 17th, 1976. And just to have a little, add a little humility, uh, I'm looking for the next picture here. Uh, come on, Dave. Oh, that's, that's when I was a little boy, sorry. I'll get to it, I golly. Well, anyway, that's, I'll stop sharing. I can't find the other one. I, I had a relapse picture in there just to humble myself. Anyway, so I came in the program August 17th, 1976. And uh, I weighed 300 pounds. And uh, and I lost, uh, in, in a little over a year, I lost 130 pounds. And uh, that's why I came to Overeaters Anonymous initially to lose weight and get out of here as soon as I could because it was very embarrassing to admit I had a problem. I didn't tell anybody I went to meetings, none of the guys at work. And I was ashamed of the fact that I had to come here. So I know I've heard from other people, I'm not unique. So uh, this session is called the keys to attracting recovery. And uh, so a little bit, that's a little bit about myself. Um, and uh, my life started out uh, May the 22nd, 1944, <clears throat> my father's name was Robert Lee, uh, Robert, William Henderson, United States Navy. My mother's name was Mamie Alessio. And they named me uh, uh, my, uh, Robert Lee Henderson. That was my name. And then my parents adopted me a couple of years later, something around there. And uh, so I got, I got off, uh, I wasn't supposed to be here. And my mother told me at a young age that I was adopted and, and uh, that, uh, and that's because I was special, you know, so that makes me special. Well, my little mind said, gee, I wonder, I wonder why they got rid of me if I was so special. And, it, and that, that lasted for a long time. And, uh, and that was my wound. Some of us admit we come here because we have a wound and sometimes it's a shaming wound. And uh, that's what I had when I came here at 32 years old. So uh, that sounds great. Two people, uh, my, my mother, uh, Dorothy Elizabeth Burge and Albert Edwin Burge adopted me and life, life is great. I have parents and everything. And, uh, you know, I had a house to live in and food on the table and, and all those things. And, and, uh, but the only problem was they fought all the time. You know, they, they, they didn't, you know, they, they didn't, communicate very well and then they'd go in separate ways and slam the door and come out five minutes later like nothing happened you know so uh that's what i learned about uh getting in touch with your feelings and and communication <laughs> and uh so uh so my mother when i feel sorry for myself and i i felt sorry for myself a lot because i you know when you when you have that mindset uh she would set me down at the table and give me something to eat. So eat this, you'll feel better. And then when I when I would eat, 
half the box of it, she'd say, you know, that's gluttony. So I got a little mixed message there. And uh, so when I came in the program, uh, that's what I, that, that's how I got here, but only through, through years of uh, continually uh, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, and then uh, I went on the shots and pills in the 1960s on my way here. And uh, so without elaborating on that, and uh, finally I, I, I uh, decided I, I hit a bottom of some sorts you know, somewhere in the 1970s. And I went to my healthcare provider uh, for some help. And I, doctor of internal medicine, Dr. Marijanian, gave me a, a food plan. So follow the food plan and you'll be fine. You know? And so I followed the food plan, lost weight. And, uh, and, and, and then the guys had a Christmas party and they said, you know, you've you know, you've been doing this diet, Dave, have some fun. You're going to screw up the whole Christmas party with your diet, you know, so eat some real food. So I read some real food and, you know, Dave, you can start Monday on your diet, you know, well, you know, uh, I'm not unique. Monday never came. And so, uh, so then the, the, the depression and the, uh, and the hopelessness came again and, uh, and I, I just thought, well, I'll, I'm just going to be a fat guy the rest of my life. And people, my Nick, I had all kinds of nicknames, Porky, Fatso, and all that stuff. And I got picked on a lot and felt sorry for myself. And uh, so then I heard about the stomach bypass surgery. And I thought, man, that's the, that's the ticket. You know, I got to get that. And so I went back to Dr. Mary Janian. I said, you know, your diet didn't work. You know, I want those bypass surgery. And, and, and she said, well, I can't give it to you because there, there's nothing wrong with you. In those days, you know, you, you had to be at risk, I guess, what they call it nowadays, I guess. And so I said, well, then I need to see a psychiatrist because anybody that talks about food with their wife, dinner with their wife in the morning while they're eating a large breakfast, there's something wrong with them. And anybody that eats all day long out of the vending machines, uh, there's something wrong with them. There's something wrong with me. And I need I need psychiatric help. And, and she said, uh, well, I don't, I don't think you need, so what I think you need is, is a support group. And she says, I know of two, Weight Watchers and Overeaters Anonymous. And the only thing I know about them, Dave, is one costs money and the other one doesn't. So that's why you know me. Uh, so I came here uh, reluctantly to the Wednesday night meeting at Second and Pepper in the auditorium walked in there scared to death with my shirt untucked so you wouldn't see how fat I was and uh and it was all women there were no men there and uh so I listened and a lady they they showed a picture of this lady and she was there was another lady leading the meeting and she was very thin you know, and, and I said, why are you showing me the picture? This, this, the picture on the back said 322 pounds. Okay. And the lady, I said, why are you showing me a picture of this fat lady? Probably said it loud enough for everybody to hear it. And the lady whispered, just that's the lady leading the meeting. I became instant friends with Ida. I, I drove her to meet. She didn't drive a car. I drove her to meetings and, you know, and that's how I started over here anonymous. And they told me to get a sponsor right away, get on the food plan Weigh and measure your food, call three people every day, do the 30-day assignments, and I and I did that. And, that, and by golly, after 21 days, 
you're going to be a food sponsor. So there was a direction for me to go, thank God, in those days. And so I did that, and I became a food sponsor. And, uh, and uh, But as far as those people inviting me to work the steps and read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, why should I read the big book? I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I'm a fat, I'm a fat guy, you know. And uh, so finally somebody invited me to go to a serenity retreat. And there was a guy up there named Bill, and he and he said in his talk, he said, you know, the whole the whole idea of this program is to find a higher power that can remove your food obsession. And I thought that's foreign language to me. That's that's not going to happen. That couldn't happen, you know. So, so then I I was abstinent for ten years, and I and I, I'm you know without going any further, uh, I had I married a, a woman that was an alcoholic, and. Uh, so I blamed her for ruining my life until I got to another 12-step program that taught me to mind my own business. So I'll end, I'll end, end that part there. But uh, the big book says once the spiritual malady is lifted, we get well mentally and physically. So we're talking about attracting recovery. So boy, did I start working on myself mentally and emotionally. And uh, I, I started working the steps and I go to three step study meetings now, 44 years later, and uh, because I like them. And I got outside help. I went to see Dr. Woods and uh, he would he would listen to me and because uh, I was suicidal after three years. I didn't want to live anymore because, you know, everything didn't turn out to be utopia, you know, as many of you know. And uh, so I got outside help from Dr. Woods and uh, and I started, I got a, started working with a male sponsor and he had me do some writing and he would listen to my writing and he would give me uh, direct comment and counsel. I'm quoting the AA 12 and 12. And I got, in, I got in touch with meditation and prayer. I went to places to learn how to meditate, sit there on a chair and, and I had to sit still for 20 minutes. I didn't like that because I've never been a quiet person, but I do the best I can with that. And uh, I started going to outside events uh, and I got involved with the human potential movement. I started attending church, took classes there. They invited me to be on the retreat committee. I listened to speakers. And I think all these things helped me to grow. And uh, my my road has been bumpy. I don't know about yours, but I, I, I didn't take the medicine very well. You know, it was a bitter pill I had to swallow. And, and so physically I lost that 130 pounds uh, I was on a, a healthy meal plan, and that's what I'm the same way now. So I'm doing the same things I did now that I did what they told me to come back in. I went all that far just to come back home, you know. So, uh, and here I am at a convention. I go to a lot of conventions. And uh, so my affirmation, uh, people used to tell, somebody said, Dave, you got to watch your affirmation because people would say, how are you, Dave? And I said, well, I'm just fat, dumb, stupid, and ugly, you know, ha, ha, ha. And people in this program corrected me and said, no, you're not fat, you're not dumb, and you're not stupid, and you're not ugly. And so, well, then what am I? So it's rather confusing, you know, you have to turn that around. And you can't stay in the program and stay absent very long if you have that kind of an affirmation. So uh, one of my outside groups, uh, a bunch of people had me uh, come up with my own affirmation and they wouldn't let me leave the room until. So my affirmation is I accept myself as a valuable man and that's who I am because I didn't think I was valuable, of course. 
and they had me put it up on the wall so I could look at it all the time on the mirror. And I'm, I'm truly, today I'm truly a child of God. I have a loving father and I'm in his favor. I'm, I'm, I'm real sure of that. So, uh, I, you know, I, I believe uh, if, if whatever kind of attraction I am, I don't know. That's for somebody else to decide. But I believe this program is all about relationships. And a big book says, <clears throat> it has uh, three, four chapters on it, all about relationship, working with others, to the wives, to the family afterward, and to the employers. So uh, I had to go back and make amends to all those folks, clean up my, rub out the record, clean it up. And I, and I became more attractive, I believe, when I think about it. I thought about this talk a lot. And my wife even became my friend before she passed away, you know, because I left her alone and I was able to take care of her. And I was able, because of this program only, I was able to hold her hand until she died. That's a miracle because I've always thought myself a coward, you know. So I guess God gives you the strength to do a lot of things. My family respects me and loves me. I thought a lot about this. And, and it's funny, my daughter just called me today for advice. That's not bad when your 50-year-old daughter calls you for advice. You know, you've done something right. And I said, here's my best advice. Don't give anybody an advice. <laughs> she wanted to know what to tell her son because he was having trouble with his wife. She said, what's your advice I give? I said, don't give him any. That's my advice. <laughs> it's just like the program. Uh, so I have, I have great relationships. I wrote that too with my neighbors. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, I didn't. Yeah, you know, but I live in a condo building, and and you know, people people like me here. It's because of the program. And uh, so, the thing I wanted to end with was, I kind of think I think of connect this with the twelve step. You know, and I, I live with this guy uh, Pete Peterson, and he was an alcoholic, and he was in OA for a while, and he kind of taught me uh, the twelve step. And I used to watch him, uh, we were in a restaurant, getting ready to have dinner. And he asked the waitress, he says, you think you're ready to stop drinking? And she went and told the manager what he said. And the manager said, you know, you're gonna if you tone it down. You're gonna have to leave, you know? And I was angry at Pete because I, I was hungry. I wanted to have dinner, you know? And uh, some, uh, maybe a month later, I can't, I don't know the time. It wasn't shortly after that, that we were walking downtown San Diego on Broadway Street, and a lady jaywalked across Broadway, the main street down there. And she says, I want to tell you something. She says, I got 30 days. And I said, who was that? He says, the waitress in a restaurant, you know. That was my introduction to the 12th step, you know. And uh, so uh, I worked in this big building, and there was a big 400-pound guy that worked, worked across the hall from me and used to get in his car and it leaned over to the side and all the guys made fun of him. I probably did too before the program. And I went up to him one day and I said, would, how would you like to go to an OA meeting? He says, I wondered how you lost all that weight, you know, because because you, you become a maybe physically a program of attraction. But to some degree, I swallowed my pride and was able to reach out to him and care about him. And uh, he finally came to a meeting. And he says, I didn't say this, he says, Dave, you saved my life. 40 years later, he's still in recovery. So you can't take that away from me. You can't take the 12 step away from somebody once, once it's yours, you know. And he and I will always share that relationship. It's very powerful to me. So, uh, and, and uh, you know, it's all this stuff is, 
it's credit. I got a credit to people like Pete and my sponsor, Virgil, and my new sponsor. And, uh, and a lot of people that, that trust me to be their sponsor and, and listen to me and, uh, and that I listen to them. And uh, I'm very fortunate to be in this program because it's really brought order out of the chaos in my life. And I know there's no winners and losers in OA. There's winners and learners. Sometimes I'm winning and sometimes I'm learning, but I've never been a loser. And my life's a continual cycle of pain, growth, and joy. And I can't, uh, it's still the same every day. You know, uh, I've got this program one day at a time. I get up in the morning and I read my meditation. And I, and uh, then I, if I, I stop for a minute and I say, what did I just read? <laughs> and if I don't know, I read it again. Sometimes I have to read it three times. And thank God I sponsor this gal that says, would you read the meditation to me, Dave? So I get to read it sometimes four times. And that's how I start my day. I listen to a 645 phone meeting. Then I start taking phone calls, you know, and I call my food into about 20 people and they, a lot of them send it back to me. So, you know, that, that's, that's my life. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a grateful member of Overeaters Anonymous. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Dave. And now we're going to be hearing from Carlene F. Hi, I'm a, my name's Carlene. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, so for me, when I got the uh, topic, Keys to Attracting Recovery, I read it as how do I attract recovery into my life? And um, it was interesting. I had a few conversations about it before I decided to kind of write about what I was going to do. And um, other people's takes were, well, how, are, how, how do you provide an attraction for recovery? But I decided, well, I'm just going to do it the way that I understood it and kind of walk myself and walk you guys through that. And so um, it's I took it as how do I attract recovery into my life? So for me, I looked back at how did I get here? How did I how did I um, discover the 12 steps? How did I find out about being here? You know, all of those things. And um, so I thought, okay, well, I, the three things I thought about were observe, listen, and obey. And um, so, you know, um, let's say 1998, I'm involved in a non 12 step women's group. And um, in that room, in the rooms of the women, I was leading some groups then, um, I remember us having an issue with, we would have potlucks and there was a member that would talk about, well, I can't have this kind of food. I don't want it around me. Can, would everybody agree to not do that? And everybody did because it was in support of her. But then I just pulled her aside once and asked, well, why is that? What's the deal? And, and because she looked great. I mean, little tiny thing, very great, you know, body weight, body size, yada, yada, yada. And so she shared with me her story of being, in OA and that, you know, she was 130 pounds heavier than she was at that current point in time. So I just kind of stored that in the back of my mind. That was 1998 or so. Um, and then I think about a year and a half, two years later, I was sharing a story in that group about what um, kind of checking up on the current uh, boyfriend that I was doing. And a woman pulls me aside later and says, you need to get to you know, another 12 step program. And I, and I trusted her and, 
so I just did, I went. And that was my first experience of the 12 steps. So all of that time and, and probably, you know, years before in childhood, I've always, as I look back, been a compulsive overeater. Um, in my family of origin, I'm one of six kids and I, uh, there's three boys and three girls, but I'm the one that was six feet tall. Nobody else was this tall. So though we all ate pretty compulsively, pretty obsessive, we were obsessive about food. Um, I got away with not looking heavy. And so I thought that I was fine. Um, so fast forward, you know, a couple kids later, a divorce, lots of family drama, and I could not okay. stop eating. And uh, um, that was in 2011. Um, so I was able to maintain a, a, a reasonable body weight up until that point. And then I just couldn't stop eating. And I remember thinking I was parked in front of the pantry at my house uh, we had adopted two kids, already had raised one family. Now we've got another two and I'm stay-at-home mom with them now. I had emptied the house of all bad things and I was now binging on dry oatmeal. Like I, I'm sitting with the pantry door open. That was what was left. And, um, and I remember just in that moment thinking I got to, I got to find a meeting that Natalie had talked about. So that's how I ended up in OA and I, uh, it turned out the meeting was down the street from my house. The first one I ever went to, it was a Thursday night. Perfect. It was after work. I could, you know, my husband would be home to watch the kids. So um, I walked in those doors and it was just, it was very comfortable. I understood 12 step in terms of the other programs. And all of a sudden I could see food in relation to all the other things that we can do and put in our bodies compulsively. Um, so that was my, when I talk about observe, listen, and obey, you know, observing was all the different people that I observed in my different, in my women's group over the years and, and observing myself and then listening to them. Um, I took in their stories and I did what I was prompted to do by them. Uh, part of that had to do with trust. And then the other thing was when I talk about obey, um, it's the people that I trust, but it's also the, the like spiritual nudges that I get. Um, and I say, you know, random insights from signs I see on the side of the road. I see it from music. There's intuitive thoughts that come. There's just things that happen that have me know that I have to do something. And so um, it's back to the theme of the thing about how do I attract recovery into my life? Well, I go and I do the things that I'm being nudged to do. And so um, I'd say, you know, starting in program, my weight at the point that I walked through these doors, you know, medically, a doctor would say 30, 40 pounds to lose. Um, uh, so that's, that was a weight thing, but I walked in wanting to do the 12 steps. I wanted to stop the eating. I was, I would love to have lost weight. Um, that wasn't my big focus. Um, my dad had focused my entire life on all of us girls, you got to look good, you know, and if you didn't, we didn't get the, you know, attention and things from him um, and other members of the family. So I wanted a program that wasn't focused on weight. So, um, you know, though people stand at the podium and they talk about weight, I, my big focus was let me do these steps. Let me do the program and get some relief from the obsession that I'm having around uh, needing to stop eating.
And so um, that's what I did. You know, I, again, I observed, I listened, I obeyed. What was being told to me in meetings is, you know, go to meetings, get a sponsor. Um, the first opportunity to jump into a step study I did and um, started doing the step work. I think that uh, early on, my biggest challenge became um, that when I, be, my perception, when I stopped the eating, I all of a sudden became a rageaholic. And I remember telling my sponsor that I should just start eating again because I'm so horrible to all the people that I live with. And I couldn't think of another solution um, on my own, of course. And there, that is the deal that I would always do is I move God to the side and start to come up with my own solutions. So my own solution was I got to eat. Um, so I still would stay within my three meals a day, my one optional snack, which was what I, my abstinence, but I would make sure that those meals were stuffing me full so that I didn't have to feel the feelings that were going on. And um, um, at some point, I think that I was challenged um, not by any outside person. It was by an internal nudge again that, okay, Carlene, there's something more to this than, um, I mean, the step work is good. I'm working the steps. I'm doing this, but there's something more around how I feel in my body. And I'm not feeling great as I continue to gain weight and program. So um, I remember getting uh, in one of my, um, one of my step studies, I got the aha of discipline. And so that was my new word. I don't, didn't like the word discipline before, um, but I realized that, well, you know, out there in the world with normies, quote unquote normies, if there are any, um, the ones that find success in, in various areas is just to be disciplined about whatever it is. So if my discipline is talk to my higher power every morning, I need to do that. If my discipline is, you know, cut down or, or re-nourish my body in a different way, I need to do that. And so I realized that um, kind of shifting into taking on discipline also was going to have me gain in feeling recovered. Um, and I, I'll say that the, uh, the, the piece about um, attracting recovery is, in my personal opinion, it's an ongoing every single day thing. So we talk about being recovered or being in recovery. And I know that the, the jury's out on all of that about what, what means what. But for me today, I feel like attracting recovery every single day, it's a new day. I need to be in recovery. I need to attract recovery every single day. So that's um, uh, what I'm doing today. I know that the... Um, the, the recent ride through the steps that I did, um, I got a huge aha. I used to believe, I uh, used to feel like, oh, I, the main steps are 10, 11, 12. I got to do those every day. Now that I've worked all the, you know, worked them all, those are the main ones to focus on. And then this time through, for myself personally, what I got is, oh no, I need to do one, two, three every day. Because for me, my biggest issue is surrender to a higher power. And I um, currently, if I, I have a long commute, so I 
if I go to turn the radio on in my car, that's my trigger. Have you said your surrender prayer yet? Have I, have I done that? Cause I've already, you know, been home. I've gone through this getting ready for work, getting dressed. Um, and if I go to turn that radio on on my commute and I haven't had my one, two, three conversation with higher power, then I um, need to pause and do it. And it's been a really, really powerful thing. Um, I feel like um, the current areas of recovery for me um, have a lot to do with taking self-care. Um, and one of my uh, pieces of self-care, I call it my number one, and I tell people this is my relationship with my higher power, that all the other things that I want to do for myself or for my family or for anyone else have got to take a back seat to do I check in with my higher power first. Um, I'm currently uh, really challenged with a separation, an in-house, an in-house separation from my, my partner. And, uh, you know, we both have work to do, so we're doing it. And it may or, I don't know how it's all going to play out. I just know that I'm going to continue to observe. I'm going to continue to listen and I'm going to continue to obey. Um, sometimes the messages come to me um, intuitively when I talk about higher power. How do we hear it? Intuitively, I hear it. I hear it through music. I hear my higher power through people that I trust. Sometimes I hear it through people I don't trust. Sometimes the things that, that come to me from a very angry person or a person that um, doesn't, doesn't, I don't, uh, that triggers me, let's call that my sandpaper person. Um, it's still a message for me to do something different. Um, the people, it's been, I've heard it called sandpaper to my soul. So there are people like that. Does not mean that there are people, I, they are people I should disown. I get to pay attention and see what am I going to learn from them. So um, I think that the other piece about attraction in recovery is that in the ways that I got it here, where I was attracted by the people that I trusted who were willing to tell the truth about their lives and to share vulnerably, that becomes attractive to other people. Um, I got the great pleasure of um, being in down here in San Diego with a group of people still in my same women's group that I've been a part of since 1998. And about three years in, a member who had joined three years earlier suddenly called me and said, I need to go to OA. And so now I got the great honor of seeing someone else come in because I would share openly about the gifts of this program. And so, um, they know they do say it's based on attraction rather than promotion. So I think that that's a piece. And I think it's also a piece for me in, I just want to keep bringing it into my life. So I don't have any more plan to share. I don't know where my time is, but I'm definitely open to leaving it for the people who want to share. So thank you for hearing me. Thank you, Carlene. And now we're going to be hearing from Sherry C. Hey everybody, my name is Sherry C and I am a compulsive eater. And thank you so much for the opportunity to share this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, a little bit about what it, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now and what um, is attract, attracting me, continue to attract me to recovery. 
Um, I'm, I'm a compul I was a compulsive eater since I was a little, little kid. I actually have proof of it. So my dad took home movies long before there were ever any handy cams. He had one of those projectors, you know, where we'd actually like play the movies in a dark room in our house on a big, you know, sheet that was tacked up against the wall. And I can still remember the sound of when that tape would break and it'd go, you know, I can still hear it, you know. And um, they're, they're more than life size on the wall. I can see myself as my dad has played these movies over for me again in later years. I can see myself being very upset as a, a toddler. Um, and, you know, then here comes my mom in her beautiful 1960s dress with the big skirt. And she hands me a piece of candy. And I'm just like, happy angel child. <laughs> you know? And I don't know that it's all that different for lots of kids. I mean, I don't know. Do kids not like candy? But I can tell you that there was something very different going on inside of me um, because that, you know, I, and I don't think that that made me a compulsive eater. I know I was born with this predisposition and that it just grew and grew and grew. I mean, left an unattended, like any progressive disease, it just kept progressing. And, you know, I like to tell people that, you know, I was an overeater since I was a child, but I really only overate when I was very stressed or anxious. The problem is, is that I'm always <laughs> stressed and anxious. Therefore, I overate every single possible opportunity that I could. Now, when I couldn't, for example, if I had to go to school when I was a child, or even when I was in college, when I went to class, I wouldn't necessarily overeat there. Um, but the minute I was out home from school, watching cartoons in the afternoon or in college, even walking on campus, I went to Michigan State University, walking from class to class, I was always binging. I could tell you every binge spot on the campus of Michigan State University um, in 1980 to 1986, every single one. Um, and so, uh, you know, overeating is, is uh, my food compulsion is the number one most determining characteristic of my entire life. Um, I treat it like that because it's the most dangerous and the most destructive force that has been present in my life, which I'm so grateful to now be safe from thanks to this program. Um, I, I overate until I was 26 years old, actively, compulsively, dig it out of the garbage, steal it off your plate when you're not looking, sneak into the bathroom at a party, a party where everyone's eating. I would sneak into the bathroom to binge because it wasn't as fun eating around other people because I had to restrain myself to look somewhat normal. I think of myself as a compulsive eater, like that when those vampire movies came out with Edward the Vampire. And he just always wanted to bite his girlfriend's neck. There was, you know, and he just like, his whole life was just like trying to not bite Bella's neck. And I thought, I know what that feels like because I spent my whole life trying to look like a normal eater. And I just was not because on the inside, I just wanted to eat truckloads of it from now until the end of time. So I could just check out from how much stress and anxiety I felt. I'm a pressure eater. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Even before I came to uh, OA, I used to say I could get through anything as long as I could eat on the other side. And that was true. I got through college. I got through graduate school. 
Um, but when I got my first job, for some reason, I don't know what it was, maybe being in the adult world or something, just a lot of, um, lot more pressure I was putting on myself. And I started to have what I like to call an inner collapse. Now, up until this point, I had been living like a frog jumping from lily pad to lily pad. And I would live life as much as I had to, and then I would jump to another lily pad where I could binge. And this just went on through the course of every single day. Um, and that was how I lived my life every single day. I did not date. All my friends by this time were starting to date. They were starting to get engaged, do serious things, get married, save to buy a house, all of this. Well, I did have a job. <coughs> I was able to, I, and I had a very good job, actually. And I performed pretty well at my work. But my whole day was punctuated by walking to the um, vending machine. Um, I would go get binge food, and then I'd go back to my cubicle, and I was a data programmer, and um, and I told myself, well, that'll be the last time I'll do that, too. Well, that was never the last time. It went on and on and on, and then when I left work, I came home, and I binged all night. I went to bed. I fell asleep, quote-unquote, on the sofa, which was basically saying I passed out from eating so much sugar and carbs and junk food, and I woke up in the morning feeling like I'd been hit in the head with a two-by-four, and then I swore I wasn't going to do it, and then I did that every day. Um, when I was about 26, my sister had a girlfriend at the time who joined AA. And that was the first time that I heard about the 12 steps. And I also thought she didn't really drink that much. <laughs> so I was like, I don't get it. And she later explained to me that, you know, it's not how much you drink, it's what it does to you. But I can remember thinking at the time, what she says she does with alcohol, I do with food, like to the 100 millionth degree of what she's doing. Um, and not to compare my pain with her pain, it's just that I became very aware that it was a, a real problem and that it was an addiction, an obsession. But more than that, I became aware that there might be a solution because I saw her start to change. I saw her become, you know, happy, joyous, and free. I saw her um, just really have a total personality change in a positive direction. Um, a couple years after that, I mean, it took me a couple years. I'm fiercely independent. Actually, when I first came to the program, someone told me you're not independent, you're anti-dependent. And I thought to myself, they said that like, that's not a good thing. <laughs> and it took me a while to figure it out. That's not a good thing to be anti-dependent. Um, and I, I had no ability to be interdependent with any other human beings. I didn't trust anyone. I didn't want to trust anyone. I didn't want anyone to get in my business and tell me what to do. I didn't want anyone to know how much I was eating. I didn't want to give up my sneaky behaviors with food. I think half the fun was sneaking. I really do. Having a secret life with food. Um, but, you know, it started getting worse and worse. I was having trouble performing at my job. Now, I've always, I always wanted a career and I had a career and I saw that I was having trouble. People were starting to make comments and this is a little bit gross, I do apologize, but I had a lot of digestive issues and people will come into my office at work and make a comment about it smell funny. Well, yeah, because I was eating so much, so much junk food and my stomach was like a big garbage can. And I had trouble you know, controlling gaseous emissions from my body. And, um, you know, that was just one of the things I split up the back of my skirt. I, we wore business suits at this ad agency that I worked at. Um, and I split up the back of my suit in an executive conference room one time because I wasn't going to buy a bigger size because, of course, I was going to lose the weight again, which I did. Um, I gained 20 to 30 to 40 pounds two to three times a year. I would alternately binge my brains out, finally put a stop to it, starve myself. I added that up when I first came to OA. Someone said to me, 
She didn't mean it maliciously, but at the end of a meeting, a woman said, are you sure you belong here? Because you seem to be a normal body weight. And I just felt terrified when she said that to me, because I thought, if I can't come back here, I do not know what I'm going to do. And, but it, it was a good thing because I went home and I thought, well, if I've gained 20 to 30, 40 pounds a couple times a year, two, three times a year, 20 to 30 pounds, even just at a minimum over 10 years, that's 600 pounds. I thought I've gained and lost my own body weight 600, six times, 600 pounds. Um, and I thought that's, that's not right. And um, from that point on, I never once again questioned whether I belong here or not. And um, and since that time, I, I came to the program, I got abstinent. Um, I came to the program in 1988. I got abstinent on April 19th of 1989. Um, I celebrated 32 years of recovery um, and um, taking good care of my body and not punishing myself with food anymore. Um, but um, the spiritual recovery and the emotional recovery and the mental um, thought process recovery has, um, you know, been gradual over time. And um, well, I think, you know, it was mentioned in an earlier share what, you know, what is our biggest challenge for me to keep attracting recovery back into my life. The biggest challenge is what it says in the big book to allow, allow a higher power to direct my thinking, to put my thought life on a higher plane. Left to my own devices, my thinking is extremely destructive, extremely negative, I will within minutes start harboring resentments. I will start thinking that people are out to get me. I'm not talking about diagnosable paranoia. I'm talking about just chronic levels of negativity and an inability to see things the way they really are. Now, if I were to add sugar, carbs, fat, all that garbage I used to eat, junk food back into the mix, I'm a goner. There is no way. My abstinence is first and foremost the foundation of my recovery. I absolutely must for my own sake and my own welfare and my livelihood, maintain my abstinence as my stable core. I must, I absolutely must. There are not, there are times when it's not easy. The last few months, actually, I've gone through some major life changes and lost some things that were very meaningful to me, um, but it's just not an option. I was listening to the uh, tape with Roseanne earlier and how she said over and over again, no matter what happens, keep coming back. And for me, my translation of that is do not give up on yourself. I say that to myself. Don't give up on yourself. We talk about abandonment. People talk about abandonment as a self-help word these days. I think of myself, if I were to give up my abstinence and to take a compulsive bite or to eat a food that I know will harm me is the ultimate abandonment of myself. And I, I just refuse to do that to myself anymore. I'm working on the negative thinking with my higher powers help. That when I actually give into the negative thinking and I perceive things in this negative way as if things aren't going to get better and these last few months have been so bad and why is it at 58 that I've got this situation that I have to deal with and how hard is that and haven't I been through enough already? <laughs> that kind of thing is going to consume me. You know, I have to surrender it. Um, a couple other things in addition to my sister's uh, girlfriend who attracted me to recovery with her um, transformation was my first sponsor who I met at um, my home group in Michigan, which because of the pandemic, I've been able to rejoin over the last year and a half. How about that? I've been able to sit in a Zoom room with some of the women that I started my recovery journey with 30 years ago. And, um, and that, that's just an unexpected um, opportunity I never thought I would have. Um, and sit in the same Zoom room with my sponsor. Uh, she's no longer my sponsor, but she's one of my very, very closest friends. 
Um, and she, um, you know, she was the one who, in the beginning, I called in my food. I weighed and measured my food. I called it into her every day. Um, she gave me just so much incredible support. Um, I did my steps with her. I also had a spiritual step sponsor at the time. She was my food sponsor. And um, my step sponsor um, was also one of the people that really attracted me to recovery. And she said something that changed everything for me when I was working my steps with her. And I, I believe I was on the third step. And she said, there's something you have to understand. She said, your higher power loves you more than you will ever love yourself or anyone else and wants nothing but the very, very best for you, better than you can ever imagine. And it is so bizarre. I mean, 32 years ago, I, when I say those words, it's as if she's saying it to me right here, right now. And um, something in me changed when she said that. And I started to have hope, you know, that my life wouldn't necessarily have to be um, just a function of having this illness and be crippled by it. I was absent by then, but I found that my obsession with food had not been lifted that I still looked forward to every meal desperately. And that I was still like a frog going from lily pad to lily pad. It wasn't binge to binge anymore, but it was meal to meal. And I do eat a snack in the afternoon and I eat a snack before bedtime. So I was like, I'm living my life for five times a day that I get to put food in my mouth. And that made me very sad. Um, and as I worked the steps with her, I began to experience what I read in the AA 12 and 12 for the first time. And we actually have it in our OA 12 and 12. It's phrased a little differently in step 12. The AA 12 and 12 starts out, the very first words are the joy of living. Now, when I was working my steps with my sponsor, we read each of the steps in a variety of books, including the AA 12 and 12 and the OA 12 and 12. When I read that one, I thought, what are they talking about? Because they're obviously different people than me because I don't think I'm going to be experiencing any joy. I'm just not like that kind of person. It felt as if they said, if you jump, jump really high, you can land on the moon. That's how far away it felt to me to think of someone being my, myself being someone who I could, myself being somebody who could actually experience a joy of living. In our OA 12 and 12, it talks about the joy of recovery which attracts others who want what we've found. And that gets to another part of the foundation of my program, which is service. Um, when I came into the program early on, this was, I'm not sure whether the movie Out of Africa had just come out or if I had just happened to watch it and I'm not promoting the movie, but Meryl Streep in this scene has to cross a vast African desert. Now she is not an experienced traveler. It's difficult for her but she's traveling with a guide and he is an experienced traveler of the African desert. So he goes ahead of her each day. And then he goes very far. And as she heads in that same direction, she begins at the end of the day to see the fire he has set for her. And she can navigate the rest of the way because he has created, you know, camp, he has set up camp and he's given her something, you know, to, to work toward. And I thought of all the people that I had met, even just early in the first few years of recovery, people that had just given their time I always say to people, service is meaningful no matter what. It's especially meaningful when it's highly inconvenient. And that's what I try to do. I try to give service not only when it's convenient, but especially when it's inconvenient. Because I think it's more meaningful to me and to the person receiving it. And I thought of all those people that had helped me, even in the short period of time, just a few years. And I thought, if I shove food in my mouth, it's like I'm saying, 
thanks, no thanks. Thanks for helping me even when it wasn't convenient, but it's more important for me to eat right now. I'm sorry, I'm uncomfortable. And I just thought that just felt so wrong. You know, I really treasured what my sponsor had given to me, my sponsors, the people, the women in my home group, they were just such powerful people. It was um, a women's group, they were amazing. And I thought it would be kind of like thumbing my nose at them to take a bite at that point. And I think it was one of the first times when I actually started realizing I had the capacity to not just be consumed with thoughts about myself all the time, that I actually could have thoughts about how my behavior and choices affected other people and to make decisions that were not only good for me, but that would benefit the people around me out of care and concern for them and appreciation of their time and effort. Um, I have to ask myself a lot, how good can I stand it? I seem to really like drama even now. I'm sorry I do, you know. Um, I seem to stir it up somehow, uh, primarily in uh, dating relationships. So I'll be taking a break from that for a while. Um, but, you know, I do repeatedly ask myself, how good can I stand it? How calm can I stand it? How quiet can I stand it? How peaceful can I stand it? Um, how happy can I stand it? You know, um, I think, you know, I would like to continue to learn and grow in my program, not so much through pain, um, but through the joy of recovery has already been shared. Um, I'm not sure how I'm doing on time and I can't really see very well. So I hope someone gives me a verbal heads up. Um, thank you for that. So um, I think, let's see, what else do I want to say about attracting recovery? Um, working the steps. I try to stay in the middle of my program. Uh, I've heard someone say, I'll clean it up a little bit. They said, paint your bottom white. Okay. Paint your bottom white and stay in the middle of the herd. I like that. You know, it's like, I like that because um, one of my family members lived in Montana and we'd always go hiking and you'd see these beautiful herds of white-tailed deer. And as they saw you, they'd start leaping away with all their little white tails, you know, bouncing through the air. And so I kind of think about that and I think, yeah, I need to paint my bottom white and stay in the middle of the herd. Um, stay in the middle of where I know it's safe, my program, which I love and treasure. Um, give service, not because I have to, but because I want to, just like they say, you know, how long do you have to keep going to meetings? Well, you have to keep going until you want to go. And, and I really do love um, the program. I love being a part of it. Um, and I, I love giving service. Um, I love sponsoring. I, um, I have very strong opinions about sponsoring. I don't think that it is my job or I don't think I have any business at all to direct someone else's behavior or to give advice or to get any sort of high out of controlling someone else. And I, I really reject those ideas. I think of myself as a friend, a guide based on my own experience. I, it says, you know, we are only able to contribute up to the level of our own experience. Um, I don't have any white like it's white like experiences to share with anyone. I have my own hard earned recovery and I have my own um, journey with my higher power that lovingly seems to just day by day, I can only see as far down the path as the light is shining in front of me. But somehow over the course of 32 years, my higher power has kept me safe and guided me through um, my own willful behavior at times and given me a life that is beyond what I really ever imagined for myself. Now, when I read those words, the joy of living, the joy of recovery, 
I feel it. I really do. I have difficult situations in my life. I take care of my two elderly parents. I've had the joy of having them in my life until their old age. They're both 91 years old. Um, my mom has dementia. I'm watching her fade away, not day by day, but week by week. Um, it's pretty dramatic. Um, and I sometimes uh, say to myself, I really don't know how I'm going to do this. I really don't. And then I just remind myself, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you know, they, people say, oh, higher power never gives you more than you can handle. And the first time I heard that, I just thought that is BS. I just don't agree with it. And I still don't agree with it. I think for myself, my higher power will never give me more than I can handle when I ask for my higher power's help. And when I am receptive to the support, the abundant, unlimited support that's available to me in the universe, in the program, among all of you, in unexpected strangers, um, angels that come to our, um, across our path. Um, I, I definitely have been given more than I can handle in my life. I think we all have at different times. And the times that I've tried to handle it on my own are the times that it's broken me before I came to the program and nearly broken me since I have been here. Um, my sister passed away from metastatic breast cancer. I helped to care for her for eight years. Um, I was part of you know, middle of the night emergency runs when things were happening because her body was under assault and I was there when she died. And um, it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. And I'm not saying profound in a good way. Um, I think I'm still recovering from that, to be honest. The only reason I mention that is because it's not just like a one and done. And I don't ever, when I share, want to present this idea like I've got it figured out. I don't. I absolutely do not. I just know that, like I said, that this disease has destroyed me from the inside out when I was not practicing a recovery program. And now that I am practicing a recovery program, I get to live a life that does have happiness, that does have joy, that does have freedom. And um, if I let myself wander a little bit off the path, I am not someone that does well without structure. I, I'll just end up like in a big briar patch, you know, and I'll, <laughs> I'll be all torn up and probably land in poison ivy. I just, you know, I do not do well without structure. Um, and so, you know, the program is, is, is the way that I keep my, my thought life, my choices, everything really in my life. I, um, I try to turn over every day. Not, I'm not a super spiritual person. Like I'm not going to sit there with like a white glow around me, but I would say 24 seven, I, I really always am um, trying to stay in conscious contact and um, really pretty much put everything that comes across my mind or any decision that I have to make um, up to my higher power. And I just know how it works. I've been around long enough that if I don't do that, um, there's often a lot of pain, you know? So I can't say that I follow the program out of virtue. I think I follow it out of necessity because I, there's no question in my mind that this is who I am and this is what heals me. And this is how I'm going to live, you know, the best life that I can. And as my sponsor promised me in the beginning, um, you know, get to experience a life that is better than I ever could have imagined for myself. So I think with that, I'll pass. And I thank you so much for the opportunity to share.